Hi, Harry. How are you doing today? Doing excellent. How are you, Jesse? I'm great, actually. Uh, I moved into college for a week, actually a day more than a week. So it's been really fun. I've met so many great people and college is really like a melting pot of a lot of different types of people. That's, and I think I got the cultural shock like four or three days in. So yeah, college is definitely different from high school. Yeah, it, it is. Um, you have a lot more freedom. I remember when my, uh, my freshman year, um, I closed my dorm room, the door to my dorm room, and that was like, wow, there's nobody to tell me to do anything. I yeah. can completely mess up and like not go to class if, and nobody's going to be there to, to tell me what to do. So it, it was definitely an adjustment and a learning experience. Um, it's, it's kind of halfway in between being, being under your parents' roof and halfway being an adult where you're, you're actually responsible for bills and stuff. So college is definitely a, a good time uh, to learn and mess some stuff up and kind of find out who you are and all those, those good things. So I'm, I, I'm excited for you. This is exciting. Yeah, it's so exciting. Um, it I I've met so many different types of people, and then some people crack me up, and then some people rather stay away from <laughs> because they look kind of sketchy. But college is definitely there's way more freedom. I would definitely agree mm-hmm. you agree with you on that. And I don't personally know about classes yet that you talked about how class was like, but. I'm going to start classes this Monday, so it's going to be exciting. So, so do you have your schedule yet? Are you doing like early morning classes? Or? Oh, uh, yeah. Actually, online, you can see what kind of schedule you are you have. And yeah, I do oh, okay. have a schedule. And I've intentionally picked classes that are between 10 a.m. to like the latest. It's like 5, like 6, 6 p.m. Oh, okay. So I, I don't want to take any 8 a.m. classes because I feel, I feel really not energized in the morning sometimes and also at night. So, I can relate. <laughs> I can yeah. relate. And then a lot of people give me advice saying, like, you got to pick your classes either, like, from 10 to – and keep it in that range. So that's what I went with, and I feel, I feel really happy with my schedule right now. Good. Uh. I think our listeners want to know a little bit about more about you and do you mind explaining uh, what your visual impairment is and uh, a little bit more about you? Sure. Um, my, my visual impairment uh, began when I was a baby. Um, I have what's called retinopathy of prematurity. And basically what that means is that um, as a preemie, I was given oxygen and then oxygen caused some, some scar tissue to form on my retinas. Um, but, you know, normally that, that's really, I'll be honest, like um, that, you know, how I became blind or that, all of those things really don't come up much in my life. Um, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's literally one characteristic of who I am. And I really don't, uh, really, really don't think about it too much. Um, it's something that 
it's like having allergies, right? Or people that are diabetic. Um, it, it is, it is a thing. It is one facet. It, it definitely does not define who I am or what I want to do in my life. So, um, you know, it, it did pose some challenges kind of, you know, growing up in, in high school and, you know, kids are mean or whatever. Um, but, you know, I, I, I had the benefit of having a mom um, who really just set, set high expectations for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and my, you know, I was raised as a single child. My parents were divorced. My dad was blind um, and he ran a roofing company. So I, I had a, I had a little bit of a good example there uh, with respect to, you know, being an entrepreneur and, and, you know, what's possible. Um, but, you know, growing up, some of the things that really kind of intrigued me was like my dad always said, you know, if I had good vision, you know, I could drive myself to all these jobs and, you know, and, and I, I'd be a millionaire. And I always thought to myself, even as a little kid, and I'm going like, well, why, why not? Why aren't you? Like, what does that have to do with you being a millionaire or not? Like, I never understood. Mm-hmm. So, like, that, that mindset of, you know, thinking and being curious as to, like, why, why, is, why is that characteristic the thing that stopped my dad from achieving his dreams really mm-hmm. was instilled in me from being a, a, a little boy. So, um, you know, it's... Uh, it's something to where and even, you know, nowadays, uh, you know, I went through the transition of, I don't want to use a white cane, you know, I have, I'm going to use all the residual vision that I have and, and those sort of internal struggles. And, and now I'm like, okay, it, a cane is a tool. Like I'll use whatever tools at my disposal to help me be more successful. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's kind of where I've come from and, and, uh, and where I've been. So, yeah, uh, I've also had those thoughts saying like, because personally, I became blind uh, at 11th grade. So it's been two years. So I had perfect vision leading up to 11th grade and some kind of genetic thing flipped on. And it's basically I have a condition called Lieber's hereditary optic neuropathy. So uh, it just happened during 11th grade. And I've been having thoughts saying like, uh, with better vision, I could have done this, that, you know, I don't know, become valedictorian or, uh, I don't know. But I've also had thoughts saying like, if I didn't have this kind of disability in the first place, I don't think I would have the same type of motivation to go out and challenge myself. And, um, and better myself in some sort of way because now I have a purpose. I feel like now I can like um, have something uh, to constantly challenge myself each day. And definitely technology has helped us. Um, in a previous episode, I, I talked with Christopher Meyer and he said that uh, it's, it's more the individual, not the technology, but the technology complements uh, compliments the individual who's using it. So uh, I I know that you were a, I think a systems analyst for the US military, correct? That's correct. And how was it like uh, being in that position? And what exactly is that? So um, 
my current role, um, I, I'll, I'll be honest, I, I didn't actually plan to, to be in this role. Um, it wasn't mm -hmm. my, uh, wasn't, wasn't my aspiration in life when I first went to college. Um, mm -hmm. Believe it or not, at one point in time, I actually wanted to be a youth pastor. So my first oh. experience in college was, uh, was at Central Bible College. And so, you know, that was a, that was a very much so eye-opening experience because um, back, back in my day, um, <laughs> I, I graduated in, uh, just to date myself, I graduated in 1997. Uh -huh. um, and that was when my older brother was born. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Sorry. It's okay. It's okay. Um, let me let me go grab my my cane and and uh, walker here. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know. So, but uh, yeah. So I I went there and um, there really I, you know there there wasn't any accessibility. There wasn't like a DSS oh. office. Um. There there wasn't anybody out there. And you know the funny thing is. I found out that a DSS office and, and those and, and what not having those people, it actually forced me to add to self advocate. Mm. So like I, I had to actually talk to my instructors and go, you know, professor, um, you know, I really need this to be more successful in your course. Like yes. here are some things that ways that you can help me be as successful as I can in your class. Mm -hmm. um, and more often than not, they were very much so very accommodating and amenable because they, they wanted me, they wanted all of their students to be successful in their courses. Mm -hmm. um, there was, there were a few times where I had a professor that just didn't understand or they were like, mm -hmm. well, no, this is the way it is. And, and it did take some, some, uh, not manipulation because that's that's a loaded word but yeah um some, some convincing yeah. yeah some convincing and you know like hey you know sir I, I i just want you to to see what i do and yeah um and and more a little bit more of uh you know pressing flesh and building some soft skills that that i didn't necessarily Definitely. always have um and so that that was something that was interesting. So I, um, I had some things happen and I had to stop the school that first time. Mm. Um, and then I went later, went back and finished that. I went to a community college, got some courses done there. Yep. And that was the first time I was introduced, introduced to a disability sort services office. And I'm going, okay, why do I have to go to this office? Why do I have to talk to these people? Like, why can't I just talk to my professor? Yeah. What in the world? And I, that's the point I found out that the DSS is a double-edged sword. Um, and I found out that they can be a hindrance or they can be a help. And depending uh -huh. upon the person that is your counselor or that particular DSS office, yeah. uh, can be, they can be troublesome. Um, but you know, that was, that was one of the things where I thought, okay, well, let me just deal within their framework. Mm -hmm. And it, it was an okay DSS office. It, it wasn't the best uh, and it wasn't, wasn't nearly uh, the experience I had at A&M later on. Mm. Um, but 
that uh, in, in there, I just, I kind of did the same thing. You know, I got my letters and yeah. I, I talked to my professors and I said, Hey, sir, you know, here, here's, here's what I need to be successful in your course. Um, if, are there ways that can, we could come up with to do things maybe a little bit more tactically or maybe, um, you know, is this book available on audio cassette? You know, cause back then we didn't, we had, you know, services like the library of Congress and RFB and D, but not yeah. all of my textbooks were, were available. So like mm. uh, my CompTIA a plus, um, text. Um, and at that time I, I had, was getting into technology a little bit. Mm. So I did, I was doing those sorts of courses. And so I had to figure out, you know, figure out my way forward. Um, well yeah. then like fast forward, um, in, in, uh, 2007, 2008, I, um, I got my first full-time job. Um, awesome. yeah, I, I spent my entire twenties, um, not working full-time. Mm -hmm. Like I had a few part-time jobs yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I got, the, got my first full-time job, um, having graduated with a bachelor's degree, yeah. uh, working help desk for a company called Teletech and we worked for Hewlett Packard. Um, uh -oh. so from there I had, I had talked to one of my friends in high school and that I had just been, uh, been fired from, been let go from that job. Mm. I was like, I was getting ready to get married, uh, the next week and I was like, tell me, what do I do? <coughs> and my friend, he, um, uh, his name's Stephen Malo, really awesome guy. Yeah. Um, he said, well, I'm, he's, he was a big math nerd in high school and went, <laughs> went and got a bachelor's degree in mathematics. And he was working for a company called Scholastic and they do, uh, they're a book company. You've seen Clifford, the big red dog. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they do their little book fairs and, and, oh, okay. and everything. Yeah. And they needed, they needed some folks to, 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 to do data analytics. And so, oh. He called me up and I was, I was talking to him one day. We were just shooting the breeze. And I was doing this business class. Um, and the purpose of the business class was to run a fictitious airline. And hmm. so I thought, well, I have all this data. I can like scrape all this stuff yeah. uh, using Excel and just analyze the data so that help it to help us make better mm -hmm. decisions for our airline. Well, I was telling him about it and he was like, oh my goodness, what in the world? <laughs> like, like I need, I need your skill set on my team. And I'm like, I'm like, nah, man, I don't, I don't know anything about math. Like what a math guy is like, no, you don't understand. This is actually like really cool. Like, like yeah. this is really good stuff. And I said, well, okay. You know, he's like, well, like, like, you know, normally we hire, con we hire contractors and whatnot. And so I, um, I said, okay, you know, like I, he said, well, I'm going to introduce you to my boss. And I, I basically said, look, I don't have the background that you're, I have a background in mathematics. I don't have a background in data analytics, but I'll, I'll work for you for two weeks for free. If you'll give me a shot at a contract. Mm -hmm. And he's mm -hmm. like, sure. What do I have to lose? I'm like, if you don't, if you don't like the work I produce, we'll part ways, no worse for wear. But if you like what I do, can I get a contract? Well, mm -hmm. two weeks later, I ended up, I landed a contract with Scholastic doing data analytics. Wow. Um, 
Yeah. So, so specifically, you know, like, you know, I, I went from making, you know, 12 bucks an hour to making like, like, like $50 an hour. Wow. That's like the milestone. Like listening to what you just said, your whole, uh, uh, that convoluted period in your twenties, and then eventually landing that contract—that must be like one of the highlights so far in your life, right? Yeah, it, it was it was a pretty big milestone. And then, like along that same time, I went to some training for uh, contract management support because yeah. during my college years, I had applied for uh, for an internship at National Industries for the Blind and their contract management uh-huh. support teams. Yep. And they said, well, I, they flew me out for the interview. They said, well, good, bad news is you didn't get the internship. Good news is you got a job. So um, at that point, I, they flew me out to San Antonio. I did their contract management support training and they offered me the full-time job here in San, here in San Antonio. And we moved from Springfield, Missouri, where I was going to college, my wife and I, to San Antonio, Texas, where I spent, like, my first year of marriage working full-time for Scholastic on the contract gig and during nights and weekends and working full-time doing contract contract closeout and contract management support for uh, National Industries for the Blind at at the San Antonio Lighthouse for the Blind. Mm, So mm -hmm. um, it was crazy, man. I went from, like (laughs) – uh, no job going, oh my goodness, I'm going to get married in a week. And I'll, I, how am I going to like support my yeah. new family? So like no, all of a sudden I'm, I'm, I'm making like six figures. Um, yeah. It was, it was insane. It was absolutely insane. Um, it, yeah. I'm I, getting goosebumps right now thinking about that. <laughs> it, it's, it's crazy. Cause I'm like, I'm, I, you know, my parents weren't rich. And so like all of a sudden, I didn't know how to manage all this money. And so like, you know, I've been stupid stuff. We went out to eat a lot, you know, like whatever. Um, Well, kind of fast forward, the gentleman who was the core, the contracting officer representative, basically the guy that represents the government who oversees the contract Mm -hmm. uh, that NIB, that NIB was under to do closeout for the government. Um, his name, his, uh, he, uh, they awarded the, awarded the contract to us. And then six months later, he calls me up and goes, Hey, are you looking for a job? Hmm. And I said, well, sure. Cause I, at the time I had been trying to get in the government, yeah. um, you know, cause I, I, cause for me, I wanted to serve my country. I grew up in scouting and, and grew up in, in those sorts of organizations. And I was like, you know, I, if I had the opportunity, I would have gone in the military. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I'd been trying to get a federal job with the military because I'm like, oh, this is how I can serve my country. And um, mm-hmm. he's like, well, you did some data analysis for us, like, you know, a, lo- a while ago, you know, in your mm-hmm. job. Mm-hmm. Um, I really need your skill set on my team. Wow. Um, and so I was like, okay, like, sure. <laughs> And um, he's like, how does a GS-12 sound? And I'm like, I don't know. Is that good? And uh, he's like, well, what did, what did you make in your – because it, by that time, the contract had concluded with Scholastic. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I was just working contract closeout. And uh, I said, well, I don't, I'm like, oh, no, I, I don't want to 
price myself out of a job, you know? Uh-huh. He's like, no, 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 no. Tell me, like, show me your contract, like whatever, we'll match it. And I'm like, oh, okay. You know? Um, and I was like, okay, 12 is, is the 12th good? And I, I was talking to my boss at the time, uh, Don Norred. I don't, I don't know if he's still at the White House. Really awesome guy, like old Vietnam vet man, crusty old contracting officer, probably knows more about government contracting than, than I'll ever know. Yeah. Um, he was like, he's like, I, was, I went to him, I said, you know, sir, I had some advice. I said, GS-12 good? He said, are you kidding me? If you don't take that job, I'll kill you myself. I, like, <laughs> I retired as a GS-12. And I was like, okay. So I ended up taking that job as a, a, as a procurement systems analyst. Okay. Um, and in that job, I, um, I did data. Um, I did like a lot of, a lot of process automation in Excel. Uh, Cause back, back in those days, um, we had some business intelligence systems, but um, most of it was pulling data out and then using Excel to do an, do a, like a secondary analysis on the data. Um, fast forward to now, we've got you know Python and all the happy oh, tools. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. we've got a lot a lot better tools to to use. Yeah. Um, uh, I was actually going to ask you about coding specifically uh, mm-hmm. because I've been talking to a lot of people because I was so excited to talk to you t- uh, today, uh, especially for this episode because uh, during high school, I took Java and it was really difficult as a blind person doing Java. And okay. since uh, I 11th grade, uh, became blind, I didn't have the Braille skills yet. Or yeah, it wasn't like reasonable for me to learn Braille since I was in the middle of everything. And uh, actually a a person was going to ask you this question. So she's also doing uh, computer science. Uh, And then she was asking uh, when she does debugging, it's like quite a visual process. How do you do it personally? Um, so I, I actually do have some residual vision. Um, Mm -hmm. so, but I, I also use, um, I use voiceover and what I normally do is I will take, I'll take the stack trace. For example, if it's Python, um, where's Kurt does a really nice job at at producing a, a nice stack trace for you. And it uh-huh. kind of, it, it does point out, it could potentially point out some issues um, in your code. And I'll, I'll, I'll actually like listen for line numbers um, oh. or error messages in the stack trace. Uh-huh. Um, but what I also do is um, just the biggest part of debugging is learning if it's specifically syntactical issues Mm-hmm. is learning the syntax of the language and and learning a code learning a style le- learning a style that will will lend itself toward sussing out some of those issues so um, I know in college they don't do this a lot um, mm-hmm. at least in my my college yeah. um, but a lot of a lot of shops will have a preferred coding style and in Python, mm-hmm. There is a style called um, PEP8 that actually 
forces you to follow a lot of those a lot of those good disciplines in coding yeah. for example um using good comments in 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 methods or classes um okay. or even even in like uh the, the module level mm-hmm. um and then also like tabbing tabbing your your code over so that it it appears more logical um but as far as as far as like in debugging c um valgrind is a good tool it's it's um it's it's uh i used it in the terminal um i would say that probably one of the best places for blind folks to start learning to code is directly in the terminal uh, yeah. uh, because it's completely it's completely text based um mm-hmm. Java is a little bit more, a little bit more tough. Um, yeah, it's is, like class. I, if I remember correctly, if my memory is like do me good right now, is like mm-hmm. class more class oriented, and like, um, it, it was a lot. <laughs> now I think more about it. You know, Java. I, I'll be honest. If I were, if I were to start some on the path of learning to code, learning to program. I would not start in Java. Yeah. I know object object orientation exactly. and object yeah, programming word. is like all the hotness and the rage and like, oh well you need to learn Java to, yeah. to learn computer science in college. Um personally I would start I would start in Python. Oh okay. um, one because it's so accessible. Uh, oh, it's okay. like the, the the logic is very straightforward. Yep. Um, in that you know the number of spaces really can dictate the logic the the logic of of a statement. Um, yep. And it also builds good habits with respect to style. Um, oh. Where, yeah. So. Uh, there, um, either there or like C. Uh, C is a much lower level language. It's it is it is more difficult than than Java in some instances. Um, you have to do memory management and those kind of things. Um, but but part of my reasoning for recommending Python is, man, it is a Swiss Army knife. You can use it for so many things. You yeah. can use it. To, to build web page, websites, you can use it to build web servers, you can use it to do data science, you can use it for just about, you can use it for mathematics, um, you can use it for, for data visualization. Exactly. Um, you know, cybersecurity, if you wanna do cybersecurity, you can do that. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and, it's, and what's nice about it is if you wanna write it uh, directly in the terminal and get instant results. You can do that. Mm. Um, and it's it's really good. It's a just a really great place to learn, and it gives you some really awesome things to to hang to hang some hooks on with other languages. Yeah, actually, I was going to try to get into Python because uh, my major in college is architecture. Actually, so okay. uh, a lot of because they use a lot of programs too, like uh, Rhino, um, 
CAD to like visualize certain objects and stuff so they can like uh, design like a lot of design aspect programs. And I, if I remember correctly, like a lot of the, a lot of these programs, like I think they use C, but a lot of them also use Python. Uh, And then when I was online searching up uh, what is the program that's the most versatile uh, to visualize, to visualize different uh, things. And also what you said, data science and what popped up was Python. And I was like, yeah, I better learn Python. It's, it seems like it's, um, yeah, what you said easier than Java. And it's definitely something that I would look into. And, and what's great is there are, there are lots of tutorials out there. Um, actually another good person, um, if your listeners are interested in, um, in coding and programming, another person that, that you might want to talk to is his name is Tyler Littlefield. Um, he is a, he's actually the gentleman. I, I worked with him on some open source projects before. Um, and he actually is the person that built the, um, the COVID-19 tracker, the accessible COVID-19 stats site. Um, really great guy. Um, really, really, really knowledgeable. Um, worked with him before and, and, and he, he's somebody that is completely uses a screen reader. So mm-hmm. um, he would be able to give you uh, even even more down and dirty on on yeah. someone that's that's screen reader dependent and and how he works works in code. Yeah, I remember during high school how I coded was using the uh, it was a PC. It was like a Dell desktop PC. It was uh, in my computer science class. So they had these Dell uh, desktops, and what I would do was use. Uh, the zoom in feature in windows, but I forgot what it was called, but I would use that. And then I would slowly scroll through every single line of code. So <laughs> I would stay like two, three hours after school. And, and in addition to lunch, lunch breaks, and even in class, just coding and checking my code. And it was just brutal. I remember it. And then, yeah. I, I guess I became buddies buddies with my computer science teacher <laughs> because she saw me there every single day. And it was a, I would say it's one of the toughest class, the toughest class that I've taken in high school. Yeah, it, it definitely can be, uh, it can be challenging. Um, but, you know, it's funny, it gets in your blood. There are, there are times when, especially when you're working on a problem that's particularly complicated or you just you're not wrapping your head around or you don't understand it or you don't know how to solve it and then you and then you fix the code right it's broken then you fix it and it's like eureka you feel like you feel like you just invented fire or something um you know and it's it's uh as i've gotten into this um you know i've actually i i used to be a pc guy and i i went cold turkey and got into Linux. Um, So yeah, like if you are, if you or your listeners are interested, um, I would definitely just dive into Linux. Yeah. um, Because that's the, that's the operating system that, that the the internet's built on top of. So um, (laughs) you think of, yeah. Yeah. and, And 
I, I use a Macintosh for my personal laptop. Yep. And the reason is, is it has a, you, you do, do command, do command space and type terminal. And then I've got a terminal. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, uh, it's BSD under the covers, BSD Unix under the covers. So like, yeah, I have all the happy, uh, creature comforts of, of a mainstream operating system, but I also have access to a terminal and, and I can, I can SSH into whatever servers I need to, I can do all that stuff and I don't have to mess with you know, like putty or any of the other windows tools. So, yeah. And, uh, Final question to wrap this topic up a little bit is uh, if there's any visual impaired, visually impaired listeners that's listening to this and is actually interested to get into coding, uh, what would you, uh, what advice would you give them? Hmm. I know it's a broad thing. Uh, maybe yeah, like a yeah. first what step. Advice. Um, just, just start, like just start with hello world. Mm-hmm. And then branch off from there. Um, start with hello world, and and then like, and then and then go into like just doing simple math problems, right? Um, and get, and then go from there. Um, you know, doing hello world is kind of one of those things. It's it's, it's a little bit of a rite of passage for if you're <laughs> learning a new language. Yeah. Um, and then. And the other thing is, the other thing is, do not give up. There will yeah. be times when, when you'll be like, oh my God, this is dumb. Oh my goodness. Like, I can't figure this out. Well, there's a little thing called, a little skill called Google Foo uh, mm-hmm. that is your friend. Um, Googling is a skill set. And, and, you can only develop, really develop that skill set by breaking something and and uh, fixing it. Yeah. And you'll you'll learn you learn lots of skills and lots of lots of um, ways to do things and how not to do things just by breaking things. Um, yeah. Don't be afraid to break something, but when it breaks, try and fix it. Because um, you'll fit. Like I found that I've learned more through breaking something and then trying to fix it and reading the docs and reading what other people have to say about particular issues than I ever did by writing a ton of beautifully perfect code yeah. and just following a tutorial. Um, and it, it, it's something that, that you know, no, com- no computer science course in college can teach you that skill. It's a skill that you have to get yourself and you have to, you have to just get your hands dirty and just do yeah. it. The second piece of advice is that I would have, especially for going into computer science in school, mm-hmm. um, don't just do your assignments. Do more things. Oh. Build your own projects. Figure out what you want to do and then do that. You know, um, yeah. Volunteer for open source, open source projects. Volunteer for hackathons and codeathons do more stuff outside of the classroom almost than you did inside the classroom because um, I've found that that has served me the best, yeah. uh, especially in interviews because I've got uh-huh. stuff to talk about in my <laughs> yeah. interview. Yeah. Yeah. Like my older brother is currently a computer science uh, consultant 
Uh, and then mm -hmm. he did a lot of these uh, hackathons, different competitions. And my parents were like, why are you doing all of this? Why are you not focusing on academics? And I guess he's reaping the rewards of having a job right now. He's doing pretty good. And yeah, I want to get into autonomous vehicles. And autonomous vehicles are a topic that I'm really interested about. Uh, maybe it's due to my... Um, uh, the fact that I like Elon Musk a lot with like Tesla and a lot of different co uh, car companies mm -hmm. that have uh, uh, mimic what they have done with uh, their car Tesla. And I guess one good question to start off this huge topic would be what really goes into creating a autonomous system within a car? Okay, so um, that's actually... Well, we could talk probably hours on that topic. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so really what makes a car autonomous is, is the software. Um, you know, there are, there are lots of, of sensor packages that can be attached to an autonomous car. And all that does is feed the car data. Ultimately, it is that, it is that, that software package and that code that's analyzing that data and processing it and, and basically doing the decision matrix on what it's, what it's processing that is doing everything for the car. So um, I, I, did a, I did a research project in college um, on how when basically using computer vision to detect lane lines on the road. Um, and mm. that's only one, one data point is just just oh, the wow. camera there's there's lidar there's radar um there actually are if, if a if an autonomous nowadays if an autonomous vehicle is next to another autonomous vehicle they will talk to each other yeah. <laughs> um yeah yeah there's 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 thousands of systems and subsystems that go into an autonomous vehicle so i would say that as far as some people have asked me before, well, how close are we to having truly autonomous vehicles where they completely drive themselves? I'd say we're pretty far away from what we think of as autonomous. Uh, yeah. But personally, I would say that if anything is going to, the first thing I would make autonomous would be over the road trucking. Um, yeah. Where life and limb is not is not at stake, uh, where you're not carrying passengers. Um, I'd say that's probably the first spot because if you're dealing with mm -hmm. with major highways and things, um, you're not going to have. It's not. There isn't a lot of stop and go traffic. Um, yes, there might be accidents, but you know, for the most part, you're dealing with major arteries people traveling at you know, 60, 70 miles an hour, and they're not yeah. stopping a whole lot. So the autonomous system doesn't have to do a whole lot. Um, I see that probably being the first thing to get fully autonomous vehicles. Um, I would say that from a commuter standpoint, we're probably a little bit far out from that. Um, yeah. And especially passenger vehicles were definitely way far out from that um yeah 
So I've actually seen like we I I think we've done uh I guess like this past decade or I'm not sure what the timeline timeline is but uh recently how SpaceX launched their uh Crew Dragon cap- mm-hmm. capsule to the space station the whole process was autonomous and I was just and in, inside of the capsule they had these futuristic touchscreens and everything and the whole process of docking and then undocking and then coming back on land or even like blasting off that's all autonomous it was everything through the computer and i just i just see that like uh having these systems and then slowly implementing them to like more daily life stuff it's like really fascinating it it is fascinating so one of the things that i will say about so like the actual takeoff, the liftoff of a rocket, um, there's actually, there is a lot of data, but there's yeah. much less data to deal with than a car. Oh, because really? you're, yeah, because you're dealing with, it's not with the rocket, it's just the rocket, right? And yeah. you have to deal with wind and some of those data points. Um, and the gyro and everything. Yes, in the, the data from the from gyroscopes and those kind of things. But a but a car, it not only has to be aware of itself, it has to be aware of itself. Yeah. A predefined path that it's going on. Um, oh, and man. it has to be aware of the other vehicles around it. It has to be aware of... Oh, yeah. Of of uh, obstacles in the road it has to be aware of a kid running out in the road um there's there's exponentially more data that that it has to process a rocket yes you know it has to they're very there there are far fewer flying objects than um than there are cars on the on a road um and you know you could basically launch you could basically launch a rocket from almost anywhere once it once is lifted off, yeah, then it's in the air, right? So, um, so it yeah. doesn't have a pre predef- it ha- has somewhat of a predefined path, but not mm-hmm. not like a car. So, it's kind of like airplanes. Like the pilot doesn't really uh, pilot the airplane the whole time. They actually like, switch it on, uh, like switch it to autonomous mode or something like that. When yeah. I learned about it, I was like. Really? They do? <laughs> I thought they like did like the airplane for the whole trip. So like what you just said, it, it's kind of like that's why they I guess implemented to airplanes more uh more sooner than cars because cars are more around cars. So you know, you don't want to cause accidents and there's a lot of more variables versus like an airplane is just like flying the air and it might be a couple hundred kilometers from another airplane or miles so i yeah there's definitely a lot more data points to consider from a car here's another question would you think that the government is innovating as much as the private sector oh yes um actually um there was uh darpa the um, oh darpa they they actually were pioneering autonomous vehicles mm-hmm. long before Mr. Musk thought of them. Um, 
In yeah. fact, Sebastian Thurn, who is the, uh, who's actually the, the, he used to be the president of Udacity. Um, a shameless plug for Udacity. That's where I actually, le I learned how to code, um, was from mm -hmm. Udacity. It was long before I went to college. Um, he actually won the DARPA challenge for autonomous vehicles. He, he still teaches mm -hmm. uh, robotics and, and uh, automata at, at, at um, Stanford University. Um, uh -huh. And um, yeah, so, and, and there was also, actually the other day, uh, there is a autonomous dogfight challenge <laughs> where, yeah, where they're, they're actually testing it, testing out uh, autonomous aircraft. Obviously it's, it's simulated um, right now, but you know, you can trans, you could conceivably transplant that software one day into, um, into an aircraft uh, for, for, for dogfighting. Um, we've pretty much, the, the military has been interested in, in autonomy for a while. Um, a lot of the, a lot of the predator drones and, um, and those sort yeah. of, uh, drone aircraft have had autonomy for quite some time. Um, basically the human doesn't take over until it's kind of over its target area. Yeah. Um, and at that point the human takes over. Now we'll say this, um, my, and from being around the military, um, the, you would probably never, you would probably not see completely autonomous vehicles for quite some time because at the end of the day, um, they still want it because, because uh, computers do not have a sense of ethics. Yeah. Um, they don't, they don't have a sense of values or morals. And, but that is some, those are characteristics that, that a soldier has. And so, um, that's why very much so the, the military, they're, they're still going to, in my estimation, still have, uh, have the soldier in the loop to be the person that, that fires the missile or, um, or, you know, or pulls the trigger for that matter. So. Yeah, once you mentioned DARPA, uh, like my eyes lit up because uh, personally growing up, I've been really interested in the military and different kinds of technology they had. Like, uh, for example, the B-2 bomber, how like uh, stealth and everything and the technology that goes into like cloaking it and and the, the unusual shape they have. And DARPA, I've heard something about like, it's rumors, but like um, <laughs> a lot of my friends, like I guess the younger crowd would be like Area Fifty One, <laughs> or like yeah, uh, the Groom Lake. <laughs> so yeah, um, you would be extremely interested um, if you ever. So the precursor to to stealth technology was actually the SR Seventy One Blackbird. Oh, I heard if that. If you're actually interested in that in that history and how and how that stuff came about uh look up anything about skunk works skunk lockheed martin works. skunk works got it um you know and then uh read about that is it's it's really interesting like they that particular aircraft was so far ahead of its time um a lot of the the same coatings and materials 
and concepts that, that were later used in the stealth bomber and stealth fighter actually came from the Blackbird. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of cool. It's really, really cool. Yeah. Yeah, like, I, I'm just, like, imagining those aircrafts right now because when I was little, I grabbed, like, I went to the library and I grabbed the military books and opened up to the aircraft section. <laughs> But that, did, did that you get is the big, the big, like huge uh, Jane's books that have like the the like all the technical specs in them and stuff, like the unclassified uh, books? I would, I would like I was really young back then. I was like okay. way more into the picture. It, it wasn't picture books, but they had like a lot of like text also. But it, I, I would like look at the pic, uh, pictures mainly since I was so little. And then later on, I would like uh you know uh listen to like different things about different aircraft such as the this sr uh 51 sr I 70, 71 71 yeah. and also the b2 bomber that's like my favorite aircraft the unusual shape and everything and how like i think it's the one that looks like a triangle if i remember correctly yes and um, well, for the listeners that are visually impaired again, <laughs> um, if they were looking to get into something that's um, to do with auton- autonomous vehicles or like using AI in some sort of extent, um, what would you say that like kind of like uh, the same mindset, you know, what you said for coding, what is like a the mindset that's like that separates from a normal coder versus someone that's working with autonomous vehicles. Um, there isn't much difference nowadays with APIs and things you can, it's more about learning which, which model or tool to use. Um, because everything's accessible in Python nowadays. Um, yeah. I personally, um, I, I would do a lot of reading on my own. Um, the things uh-huh. that really separate somebody that specializes in AI and machine learning is from, I guess, what you would call a regular coder, um, is they just they just learned that additional skill set, right? Um, yeah. They they took a they, maybe a couple of extra math classes. Um, there are a lot of calculus concepts. Um, mm. in, in, in machine learning. Um, and like, so like, so like going to Khan Academy, um, or, or getting some, or getting some additional help with calculus and then reading, actually reading some good books on the topic. Um, another place is, uh, Udacity going to massively online mm-hmm. open courseware. Um, and, and learning from there, really, those are the things that are going to separate you. And then just mm-hmm. as from a mindset perspective, think about, right, you're making a sandwich, right? Yeah. How would you teach a computer to make a sandwich? Well, you have to tell them to, I, I'm assuming you you have all the things at your you know beside you uh mm-hmm. first you might 
have them uh, locate where everything is and then maybe open up the wrapper to the bread and then grab the bread and you had to tell them the orientation of the bread. It, I remember this from uh, <laughs> from computer class, like just in memory, like the teacher was like, here's some crackers. How will you uh, make a cracker? Like, you know, peanut butter crackers. And like <laughs> people had to like write out everything. And then like a lot of people miss a lot of steps, I remember. So that's why I'm so detailed right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Now think of that. And then the, the difference between actually explicitly telling, telling the computer uh, how to make a sandwich and teaching the computer to make a sandwich, it's just one step removed, right? So uh -huh. you might show the computer, uh, teach it how to recognize bread, right? Mm -hmm. You might train a machine learning model, looking at thousands of pictures of bread, say, okay, this is yeah. what bread looks like, right? And turning it in different ways and different, you know, slicing it or whatever. Okay, this is bread, right? Um, and then building up from there. Um, so like, and that's how like, uh, computer vision works. So you, uh -huh. you look at an object and um, you, can either, you can either give it a set and say, okay, all of these things are bread and teach it what bread is based upon all, you know, all of those things. And then yeah. you can give it other images and ask it, is this bread? Yes or no. Right. And you could train it uh, train it to learn what bread looks like from there. Um, so the, the, the mindset and skills to, to do AI and ML is literally one step removed. It's one step more complicated than, mm. than actually you hand coding and telling the computer how to make a sandwich, right? Got it. So you've got some other code that actually can make decisions or can make a decision, a decision to go, okay, what does bread look like? What does peanut butter look like? What does, what, you know, uh, what does a knife yeah. look like? Right. Yeah. Okay. And then, and then from there, now that it can recognize things like um, you teach it, okay, how do you grasp a knife, right? Yeah. Um, and then wh what motions do you need to use to spread the peanut butter, right? It's very, like, uh, it's very much so like teaching a child. Um, yeah, and, very and logical. So, so one of the things that I, I always think about when I think about computers is computers are just like children. Mm -hmm. However, they differ in that they are extremely obedient children and they will follow <laughs> your instructions to the letter so um so yeah uh that in get, not getting on to more of a philosophical context yeah. of things, um i'm always concerned about think in thinking about ethics with autonomy um okay. in in how we're training training our, our recognition systems 
Um, there is actually mm -hmm. a really good talk at the NFB National Convention about about how uh, a lot of the facial recognition systems are are uh, biased mm -hmm. um, against people of different races. Um, and I and okay. I, I resonate with that because I think well, what if this system is biased against people with disabilities? Um, okay. And so a lot of the time it is very, in my mind, it's very, very important for us to, to teach systems correctly. Um, for yeah. example, there was a, oh, what was the bot's name? Uh, off the top of my head. Uh, there was a bot that Microsoft came out with that um, after two days and some 4chan members ended up becoming completely racist and like saying uh, the most uh, like completely racist things like Hitler was the, the, the most amazing leader in the, the history of the world and whatever else. Um, and it, it was just simply because um, some people from 4chan were like, oh, let's, let's, let's manipulate this system. Let's teach this bot to be a racist. Um, so I sit there and I think, hmm, computers aren't much different than, than people. We need to be very careful with the inputs we feed them. Yeah. You know? I think this, like all we talked today is really interesting, but unfortunately, uh, it's about time to call it. Okay. And I would be um, down to talk to you uh, more in the future episode. And Excellent. it's been really great to talk to you about computer stuff because I had a lot of questions and you've answered a lot of them. Well, and thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to come on to come on your podcast. I'd be open to coming and chatting again. I know you, you sent me a, a list of questions and we didn't quite get to all of them. Uh, so hopefully yeah. we can we can meet up a, another time and, and chat some more. Yeah, for sure. And that's a wrap. <laughs>